You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Grand Rising and good morning to you. Welcome to the Morning Update Show. I'm your co-host, Trey Holiday, and we got another amazing lineup for you today. And I'm so happy to be back in the Black Media Matter studios with my co-host with the most, Big O. What up, Big O? Hey, what's up, Trey Holiday? How are you? I'm well. How are you, my friend? Man, fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's literally good to be back home. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? We were both out of studio yesterday, but it was, it was good to show people, like we said, man, you know, this... The morning update shows had a lot of different iterations and a few different sets, a few different, you know what I'm saying? Whether it's virtual, in studio, but like they say, man, the show don't stop. Yeah, never, man, never. We're we're out here and we definitely showed them that again yesterday. It was good to, you know, go back to the old school times for a minute. Yeah. And speaking of the show not stopping, man, the show goes on and we have great guests here today from the Pacific Northwest Ballet from the Ballet Swan Lake. I believe you went and saw it the other day. Uh, we've got Jonathan Baptista and we've got Angelica Generosa. They're both both in the building today. It's always a lot of excitement. You know what? Ever since CC and Daniel Cruz mm-hmm. were the very first ballet dancers to come to this studio as a nutcracker. And, you know, you just you never know going into like a new kind of genre and things on air. And we like to try stuff here. But, man, it's always such great energy anytime we get anybody from the Pacific Northwest Ballet in the building. You're absolutely right. I can't wait to dive into it with them. I mean, their performance was amazing in Swan Lake. So I know we have a lot to cover today with them. Yes, Swan Lake's a big show. You know what I'm saying? We're going we're gonna to learn all about it. And then we're also going to learn about this journey, these ballet dancers. You know, one thing I learned with, 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 with Daniel one, Daniel Cruz is big. You know what I'm saying? I was shocked. I came in. I remember I actually stood up next to one camera. I was like, whoa, you know, because I I never envisioned like a ballet dancer that big. And, you know, he talked about all the stuff, the training, everything. It's serious business. So we'll get into it. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we got that on tap for you, man. Great conversation with these guys from Pacific Northwest Ballet from Swan Lake. That being said, let's get ready to go. Good morning, everybody. Welcoming you here to the Morning Update Show. want to remind you that right now is a perfect time for you to tag and share the stream. Go ahead and tag and share the stream with people you feel would appreciate culturally relevant news and information emanating right here in the Pacific Northwest. want to give a big shout out to our partners, KBCS 91.3 over at Bellevue College. I was listening this morning, listening to uh, they had Davey D on there and then uh, Logic Amen. I didn't even know Logic Amen had a whole segment on there. So big shout out to them, KBCS, and also our partners at the South Seattle Emerald. You can listen to the Morning Update show anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. We have SoundCloud over there in the, lyri- in the lyrics, huh? in the comments. But you can also check us on Google, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. You know, this time right now in our show leads into our big story. Uh, but we'll get we'll throw this out here first here for us. here for us. Wa.org. So I'm honest, put the link in the comments over there. This for culturally relevant and curated information about COVID-19, uh, especially for the black community. And yeah, you know, the yesterday was uh, it was big news yesterday. I was actually on an airplane when the the um, when the the federal judge in Florida 
struck down the CDC mask mandate on airplanes. So like I was on the plane. People were like, yo, there's no more. There's no more masks. We got a clip right here, Trey, and we'll talk about it. The federal mask mandates for travelers, it is no longer in effect. Americans can now board planes. You can ride the trains without wearing your mask. A federal judge in Florida ruled the CDC exceeded its authority in requiring masks on aircraft and public transit. It's unclear, though, if the ruling will be appealed. Errol Barnett is at Reagan National Airport just outside Washington with more on this story. Good morning, Errol. A lot of people a little confused this morning. Yeah, that's right, Gail. Good morning. And for good reason. Look, here's what we know. Despite the recent extension, the raging public debate and all the effort to keep this on travelers' faces, for the first time in more than a year, I can speak to you maskless from inside an airport. So far, there is no legal challenge to Monday's federal court ruling. So effectively, the government's mask mandate for travel is done. Transportation Security Administration will no longer enforce the federal mandate requiring masks in all U.S. airports and onboard aircraft. Cheers erupted on flights Monday afternoon after airlines announced one by one an end to the mask mandate, dubbed by some National Unmasking Day. It's over immediately. Congratulations. This comes after a Florida federal judge ruled the CDC exceeded its authority. Travel industry yeah, analyst Henry Hardevelt. How much of a surprise was this to you? On a scale of 1 to 10 or 12. The ruling from Trump-appointed judge Catherine Kimball Mazel came as unwelcome news for the Biden administration. This is obviously a disappointing decision. The CDC continues recommending wearing a mask in public transit. The move essentially forces the federal government out of the mask rulemaking business, a policy which increasingly led to violent altercations. Has the age of mask mandates while traveling come to an end? I believe the age of having to wear a mask while traveling has ended. Now travelers may decide to mask up or not. It's ridiculous. We're so tired of it. It's a preventive measure. If they tell me, for example, I don't have to wear seatbelts anymore, I'll still wear my seatbelts. Still, some eagerly embrace the end of one of the most high-profile COVID mandates. Pretty incredible there. Now, we want to clarify, this applies to all transit, right? Amtrak, your local buses, uh, trains and subways and ferries. Uber has extended, or I should say ended, its mask policy for drivers and passengers. But there is likely to be some confusion along the way. Places like New York, for example, keeping mask mandates for state-run public transportation. And I should highlight to you that while I have my mask off now, around here at Reagan National, most travelers are still deciding to keep their masks on. So you should keep these handy. Wow, this is right here another layer to everything that we've been seeing unfold with COVID. You know, I mean, you're going to have both people, you can see there in that clip, you're going to have both sides kind of represented here. There's some folks that uh, are like, you know what, I'm good. Sitting that close to people, I'm just more comfortable now with the mask on, you know, and I'll be honest, oh, like I'm one of those people that's always been a bit weirded out by sneezes and coughs 
in close proximity to a bunch of people, even my family. So I don't know, man. I may be keeping my mask nice and handy, bro, because I'm going to tell you right now, I see people cheering, but I'm sorry. If you sneeze next to me, I'm breathing in your spit, your saliva, man. And I still don't know that I want to do that. Yeah, I think that a lot of stuff around the mask is it wasn't even the message, just the messenger. You know what I'm saying? Like people, people saw the mask as is like this government, right? Which was it was a government it made a mandate, but like it didn't come around messaging of like, man, here's how we protect our neighbors. Here's how we protect whatever. And government clearly could have done a better job. You see a comment in there from uh, Robin Rodriguez. You put up there on the screen. It says, I am immune compromised and I'm flying to see my best friend and meet her baby. My first time out of the surrounding uh, counties since before the pandemic. I was hoping so much for mass on flight to cut down risk. I honestly wish I could cancel my flight. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, the, the mask was never rolled out properly. And that I really think that really most Americans really do care about other people and people they've never met, you know, by by per capita and by dollar amount, Americans give more than any other country on earth. We when we're giving caring people, but something about this was able to supersede the conversation of humanity and caring, and it was go into to politics and politicizing, and because of that, we would disregard the health and well-being of our neighbors, our community, and our family because we felt that it was important to make a political statement. You know, there's so many other places where you wouldn't even think about if you know, like, man, I'm going to do this. This is going to keep the next person safe. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, too, because we have seen a lot of travelers coming from Asian countries that have been wearing masks way before COVID even struck. That was just a part of the norm for them. And I think you're absolutely right that, you know, there was missed messaging here with regard to this being a measure that you can take to protect yourself and those around you. This is something for me that I think we really learned uh, through the, the pandemic. So, you know, I'm not surprised that we're going to have uh, perspectives on kind of both sides of this. But ultimately, you know, whether it was the government or not, I think that there is definitely some degree of protection that we are giving ourselves and others around us by wearing masks. And so I think yeah. For me, I, I, I'm just, you know, like, hey, they they loosen up the you, mask you, here and I still be you, wearing my mask. Man. I mean, and it's like it's like it's like Buddy said there in that clip. It was like if they didn't make um, seatbelts mandatory, I'd still wear a seatbelt because he's looking at it as a you know safety decision. Me, like, I'd be honest with you, you know. I ain't never like wearing a mask. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, some people do. Some people are like, you know, it's fashionable. It's trendy. Cuddy made a whole business out of him. You know, <laughs> you, know you know what I'm saying? He got, he got a whole mask. Matter of fact, um, do I got my I got my custom converge mask? I might get it on the break. I, he made me a, a custom converge one. But, you know, I just think that there's a difference between, you know, disliking something you know, and I mean, everybody's like, oh, we go along with the government. Government says this and that. And believe me, there's a lot of pushback on every level of government, which is crazy. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, wore, wore the mask, never liked wearing the mask. 
you know what I'm saying? Understood somewhat what people were saying. And it was it was cool enough for me. Like, all right, well, she's going to protect the next dude. Cool. But I ain't never connected with politics. Yeah. Biden wants me to wear the mask, so I will. Or Trump doesn't want me to wear the mask. Like, we got we to gotta get away from that and make decisions really based you know, more localized. You know what I'm saying? Because that's who you impact in any way. You ain't going nowhere near Biden ass mask or not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or Trump. Who you going next to is, you know, like like Ramon said, somebody might be immunocompromised. I have this or that. And I think that if we really looked at this conversation and our direct sphere of influence or who we come around, we might think about it, you know what I'm saying, a bit differently. Like I said, the government did a horrible job, you know, like the messaging or whatever. And then they had a lot of steam and then like, you know, Fauci's here and there. And then, you know, I mean, it's it, it, they what started out as very concise messaging started to kind of get all over the place. And they put they tied all these public health agencies in knots. You know, I think you're making valid points here. Oh, you know, for me, it never has been because the government said so. It was really like and I'm a person that has real sensitive skin. So the first times of me wearing the mask, oh, man, like my skin was breaking out and stuff. You know, I wasn't about that life. I was like, oh, no, this is not for me. But then I realized that, you know, as I'm wearing the mask and my sons are wearing the masks, the sneezes, man, were getting caught. <laughs> and I, I was just like, you know what? I'm always like, did you catch that? Did you go into your elbow? Like, did you, are you sure you actually secured that sneeze? So my kids know this and my family knows that I'm always one of those people that's been like that. So I realized like, especially when I'm out in public around a bunch of folks I don't know, you know, I feel more comfortable with it, but you are right. I, I, it definitely wasn't a politicized decision for me at all. Right. And, you know, government also came with one size fits all and not taking into consideration the fact that, you know, I mean, especially in the city. So when we talk about people talk about like over in Asia, you see people wearing masks, this and that. You also have some of the highest population density on earth is there on, on, in, uh, in Asia. It's the highest population density. Like, I mean, it's, is you, you go to a city like Hong Kong, you go to a city like Beijing. Right. And so, yeah, but if you were to look here in King County, the population density is right here, like in the city of Seattle and kind of surrounding areas. But then you got areas of King County, like North Bend, and you got areas like Carnation. So, you know, where you got somebody where, you know, they're not really bumping into people as much, yeah. but the mandate is one size fits all. You get what I'm saying? And that's another thing, kind of like in retrospect, thinking about it is one size fits all dependent. And there's, there's, there's different variations of how, you know, people actually live and, and interact with each other. Absolutely. Oh, and that's something that I think a lot of people made, you know, arguments about at the time was, you know, it doesn't make sense for me in my neighborhood. It's not making sense for me in my community. Um, and, and it's a valid point. It really is. I know for me going from, you know, kind of one major city to another, you know, you go out and you do see that, okay, there are certain areas that are more populated or more crowded than others. And 
that was really when it was like, you know what, I'm just, I feel more comfortable having my mask on. And I think about being on a plane, you know, we're just sitting here talking about it, you know, now the, the mask mandate is gone for air travel. And you think about some of the closest proximity you are to people in that consolidated space, it's airtight. That is really something to consider here with regard to exactly what you're talking about. Those are very dense spaces in general. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, what we need to also keep in mind as well is I'll just be real with you because we ain't never thought about in these decisions when things happen is, man, we need to remember that black people in America are disproportionately impacted by COVID. You know, here in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest, we don't have a real time view and perspective of what happened in the rest of America. You know, we were here, if you lived in Seattle, like this was the lowest COVID rate of all top 30 cities in America, you know, world-class healthcare here, yeah. um, you know, top world-class research over at the University of Washington. That wasn't the case for our black and brown brothers and sisters across America. So when when mainstream or big media is like, oh, well, no, we've passed this, we've done that. We need to always remember that when America sneezes, black people catch a cold. And when whatever people are sitting there talking about, like, oh, yeah, so we need to remember. And it's hard living here in Seattle. But, you know, I went to five COVID funerals in, in North Carolina and South Carolina last year. And you go down there and you see it's ravaged, but you come home here, it's hard to find somebody. You know what I'm saying? That that you know that it took it was a it was a year, it was two two years, two people in two years here that I know that passed away from COVID. Countless, countless down south. And so I would just tell people that it's like that's why they media and they messaging and always our media and our messaging. And what 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 COVID has done to black people and, and deaths, what it's done to black businesses, what it's done to our black children in school and everything else is like, man, I wish that this was like a day for celebration, like, oh, the masses, whatever. But, man, we got a whole lot of pieces that we still need to pick up. Oh, this is exactly right, right here. I mean, you know, we talk about our access here. We talk about the difference of life here. Just last night, I was talking to someone from Cleveland, Ohio, and he was describing how the the culture there, the, you know, the lack of opportunity there to come up here and to be able to actually access all of this opportunity that we have up here. Some of us forget about that. And when we think about where we are in terms of the nation, you know, people would say across the nation, man, black folks are living good up there in Seattle. Black folks are doing well up there in Washington state. And it's because of access to opportunity. And the truth of the matter is, is that that definitely dives into our healthcare access. We saw a wide range of uh, measures and approaches that King County took, that different cities took to really ensure that we had access to COVID testing sites. We had access to getting our COVID, you know, uh, vaccines. Uh, at the end of the day, we had a lot of places pop up all over the place that meant that access was there for us. And it is not the same when we think about it across the country. Oh, so you are oh, absolutely I mean, right. These are valid points we, here, we bro. keep it real is that that the city of Seattle and public health, Seattle, King County, man, they they looked at the data and they put poor people first. 
And that was just the real of it. They put poor people, people in marginalized situations, people who are uh, essential workers. And look, look at our fire chief, Chief Scoggins. This was the first fire department in America. They sit there, they had all their own testing. Then they was out, remember they was testing the adult, the yeah. adult uh, homes. And then it was, you know, they was going to all the places where people are shut in and poor and didn't have no access. They was doing pop-ups over there, like first day of me and everything else. Then, then the, the firefighters uh, were able to do the vaccine. Like fire departments all across the country came here to talk to Chief Scoggins. They say like, man, how is, what is Seattle doing? Because the, the firefighters were the front line. You know what I'm saying? Out there with testing and vaccine and public health, Seattle, King County, man, on the front, they used all that big data down by zip code, down by block. And they said, man, these guys, this is where we need resources. This is these people need tested. These people. And I promise you, Seattle and King County is one of the few places in America where people will put resources and poor people first around something like this. And that's why so many black folk died all across America because they poor and they shut in and they marginalized and they discounted. Wasn't nobody trying to seek them out and saying like, man, how do we give you resources first? Because you have the highest risk factor. You know, I, Mike Davis, Mike Davis from the South Seattle Emerald, he said, man, I knew that the vaccine was OK when all the rich white people from the east side was coming over here to the poor people pop up to get the vaccine. He said, if rich white folk is coming to get the vaccine, he said, I, I knew it was OK. But that's that's the thing is it's like we we live insulated here. And a lot of people, especially people who transplant here, you know, they got a lot of things to say, oh, well, you know, black community, this or X, Y, Z, that. But I, I'm going to tell you what, the city of Seattle and King County stood up for poor people. They stood up for, for those on the front line and most affected by COVID, and they continue to do that. You know, this is exactly why we're talking about, you know, this Department of Health doing something that was like, we need to have culturally responsive communication. There has constantly been an effort around COVID to make sure that people are, you know, having access to the real information, not the misinformation that we saw that was out there. We talk about the difference between, you know, disinformation and misinformation. And ultimately, we dealt with that here. You know, we dealt with the fact that it was like, man, let's get these resources out. Let's let's share the data. Let's share the numbers. We saw that there was a whole uh, website curated to understanding where COVID was hitting, how the numbers were hitting every single day. When we talk about resources, it goes beyond even the pop-ups and all those things. It was so many resources poured into COVID. And honestly, we talked about how Mayor Durkin at the time was heralded for having such a strong, you know, approach to uh, making sure people had the resources they needed. And, you know, when we started the morning update, show it was because there was a litany of resources pouring into community people needed to understand how to access those resources it was money it was testing it was all kind of things that were popping up and you know it always brings me back to the nucleus of the morning update show because we realized that hey we need to just be able to help people navigate these resources it wasn't because there was a lack of them it was because there was a, a, a majority of resources pouring into community yeah, the day before we started the morning update show the depth the deaf chef was there um, with Chef Tariq literally feeding the people on Yesler. And I was like, man, everybody's just kind of doing what they're good at in their own way to help people who are impacted by COVID. 
next day morning update show is yeah. because we saw other people in service to community great discussion here this morning it looks like we could go on and on about <laughs> it but man we got some stars in the house we're gonna take a quick break right now when we come back there he is jonathan batista dancer with the pacific northwest ballet swan lake and you know i i i know that he, you're going to talk to both of these guys, Trey. Oh. It's, it's, it's all good. I mean, you just, you're, you, you were there. So Trey Holiday is going to come right back. First up to Jonathan Batista. You're watching the Morning Update Show. When COVID first hit, I was very afraid. There was so much things that I had to keep inside because I didn't know where to place my feelings. Most of my information for COVID is from my own research. I'm a doctor in educational leadership. And when the FDA approved Pfizer, it helped me realize that the vaccination is healthy. We don't want to be left behind because we're not taking the vaccine, but we want to get as much information as possible so that we are putting ourselves in better hands and not at great risk. Hey there, it's Trey Holiday. And of course, Beza and I had to take a trip back to Market Street Shoes to grab some items. They always know what to show us. And let me tell you, we both spent quality time to be sure we collected some amazing additions to our wardrobes. They have some of the most unique bags, shoes, and accessories. I mean, the whole shebang. It's always a good time when I get to shop with my girl, Basa. Make sure you go check out Market Street Shoes, y'all, and you too can walk out with some dope gear. Welcome back, everybody, to the Morning Update Show. I am your co-host, Trey Holiday, and joining me right now, oh my goodness, I'm going to call him Sir Swan Lake himself, Jonathan Batista. Hi. Hi, Tracy. How are you today? I'm good. You know what? Welcome, welcome. Uh, this is... Um, it's an amazing thing to have you here. Before we dive into anything, just tell the audience, what is the story of Swan Lake? Oh, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, the story of Swan Lake, uh, Swan Lake is a German tale. And it's about this one young lady who is hanging out by a lake and she's attracted and uh, by the evil sorcerer, which is uh, Von Rothbart. And he transformed her into a swan. Now, in many versions, uh, it suggests that he has a tone of swans or a tone of women, uh, a few women that he has transformed into this one, but she's chosen to be the swan queen. And well, there's this young man called Siegfried. He's a prince. And uh, again, in some versions, it, it suggested that he is 17 years old. Some versions, he's 19 and 20. And he's under the, uh, I'd say, the pressure to get married. It's about that time for uh, Prince Siegfried. And he's very confused. He hasn't uh, fallen in love yet. And that's when he starts hunting by the lake and he finds this one beautiful, beautiful creature. Uh, and it's, it's a lady and, and she's in the form of a swan. And that's when he captures her gently and he falls in love. And that's when their stories begin. Wow. I mean, you know, I didn't have the greatest reference of Swan. Like, I'll say I'm a new ballet goer, right? Like this 
a partnership with Pacific Northwest Ballet has really allowed for me to, to explore these amazing stories that are captured through dance uh, with the Pacific Northwest Ballet. So my only reference was like Black Swan, like the movie, right? And I, and I was like, well, how does this tie in? So I really appreciated how the program broke down each one of the acts. So you knew exactly what you were witnessing on the stage. Tell us about you playing Prince Siegfried, right? Tell us about how that was for you because so much of it was what I witnessed was this explosion of expression from the prince, whether it was the confusion, the falling in love, the, the confusion later on when he's kind of tricked, right? Tell us about that kind of second half of the show because he falls in love with the swan. But then, you know, when he's there to, you know, celebrate, you know, he gets tricked um, and, and thinking that somebody else is actually this one that he fell in love with, which is a, another part of the story. But I just witnessed so much expression from you on that stage. Just tell us about how it was for you to play that and to bring that expression out. Absolutely. Um, Swan Lake, it's the second time that I that I do Swan Lake. It's a different version. And and for me, as Prince Siegfried, uh, it, it, it was very special this time because I, I guess I'm more matured as well. I played Siegfried when I was 25 mm -hmm. and here I am 30, uh, 30 years old mm -hmm. uh, playing Siegfried. So there's more maturity going into the role, more understanding and knowledge. So uh, during Act 2, he meets... Uh, uh, Odette mm -hmm. and the lights one and that's when he falls in love and during act three that's when the evil sorcerer transforms her into the black swan and black swan well swan lake is a story of love and betrayal mm -hmm. and that's when the betrayal happens in act three uh he he is he gets confused by the black swan uh and he um swears eternal love to the black swan breaking the white swan's heart mm -hmm. and that's at the end of the padada the grand padada right the big big dance uh that we do uh uh the white swan reveals herself um as a reflection of the black swan and and then he realizes he made a mistake by swearing eternal love to the black swan and that's when um Act four happens and it's all about forgiveness, sorrow, and and it's a lot of expression. You know, it I think the, the ballet carries it itself uh emotionally mm -hmm. throughout act one, two, three, and four, and it ends with a heartbreak. You know, I'm going to tell you right now, I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, we get so used to movies always having this kind of happy ending. Right. We we see it in plays. We see it just constantly berating us like this, this idea of a happy ending. So the end where you just lay on the floor. I was like, oh, you know, I was like, I'm telling you, I was taken back for it because I was sitting there absorbing this. And I was like, this is exactly why I'm really falling in love with the ballet. It is the connection to the musicality that's happening there with the, the, the live orchestra and then the expression of movement that comes through to really allow the audience to follow the 
story, almost even without the, the summary in every act in the program, you could clearly tell the beginning is this jubilation. You can see it in the ways that dancers are hopping up and just is celebrating you. And oh my gosh, here's the prince, right? You have all these women too that are there and they're yes, like absolutely. trying to entice you a little yes, and you're like yes. not going for it. <laughs> I mean, all of that is very clear. How was it for you to work with this amazing cast? Because I know you know, we talk about lead roles often, but so much of that is based on your connection to everyone else. How was that for you during this production? It was really great. Uh, we have really great coaching uh, throughout, and we also have a very supportive company uh, between staff and and uh, and my peers at Pacific Northwest Ballet. And, and that's how we tell a story. Telling a story is pretty much about connecting with one another. Mm -hmm. And that's how we are able to uh, convey what we want to say uh, within the movement. And, and this version in, partic in particular, as soon as I started learning it, I really thought that the music and the movement, they were going hand in hand. Mm -hmm. They were very particular uh, with, uh, let's say, an accent in the music and, and a step and what it meant to, to, to dance what it meant to tell a story uh, within that one movement or that one phrase uh, uh, in the music. And also, of course, you do have to kind of have a certain level of awareness to what is happening on stage, right? Uh, the princesses are coming through and they want to get married to the prince, uh, but the prince is confused, right? Uh, and we have the mother, the queen mother, uh, who is making a lot of pressure on the prince so you have to get married it's about that time and and now he falls in love with a beautiful creature with us with, with a swan and and so uh yeah those all those little dots right from each company member really supports uh the lead roles mm -hmm. uh in telling a story in telling uh the story of swan lake and what it means to become the prince, what it means to become the swan queen and the swans as well. Yeah, no, that's definitely what I'm going to be talking to Angelica about because I was blown away with this, uh, the, the swans and their synchronicity. Like, I, yeah, so I'm definitely going to be diving into that with her. But one of the things that you just said there really struck me too because you're right. Everybody knows, like, I got to dive into this role. I got to play this part to really help tell what the scene is about. And I'll say the queen mother, as, as simple as her movements were, her pointing to that hand, right? right. Like, hey, yes. what's going on? You knew that the pressure was on with the prince and she was very stern in that, right? It was, there was no wavering there. So you didn't have no choice but to figure it out. And the idea that when you find the swan, it's really like you're telling your friends, let's just go hunting. I got to clear my head. I got to figure it out kind of thing. And all of that is portrayed by this connection with the friends that go out to hunt with you. Right. Absolutely. And then you're and then you find this one. So I loved how I got to see your connection to each one of the cast members around you in every single act. You could tell that. And you could also tell that the father that was presenting his prince daughter, right? Very pompous, very stern, very strong. Very so stern. you really got a lot of that where it's like, hey, here's my daughter. I'm presenting my daughter to you. You know, you'd be wise to choose her. Yes. Like all of those things came through without words. Uh, when I think about, you know, what you brought to this particular performance, 
performance. I want to ask you how it kind of, you know, shores up with other roles that you've played during your career as a dancer. Wow. Well, once again, this is very special for me because it's the second time that I perform it. And Swan Lake was the first, was my first leading role opportunity. Usually in a ballet company, you get to perform the Nutcracker first. Mm. And for me, Swan Lake happened first. And it's a big opportunity because it's, it's such an iconic ballet. Swan Lake from its music by Tchaikovsky, which was a, a score that was refused, uh, was ignored by critics uh, back in the day. And it ended up becoming a brilliant, the greatest success uh, of history, of ballet history. And, and, and it's a great story as well. I, as we've seen, it has become a movie and etc. So for me, Swan Lake in comparison to the many roles that I have performed, is he holds a very special place because it's also about growth, mm -hmm. right? And and it takes you on this journey. It's four acts. It's a very long ballet. <laughs> <laughs> I was like three hours. Whoa! I, I, but I was so entrenched with the movement, I didn't realize it was only because I had an engagement right after. So I'm like, oh, you know, uh, my next engagement is not till four o'clock. I'm sure I'll be out of here in time. And I was right. like, oh snap! I gotta go. You know, I gotta go now yeah. because it was such a detailed way of telling this story. But but lastly, I, I want to ask you uh, before I bring Angelica on, you know. We talk about ballet. It's very different from, you know, theater or movies or whatever, because there's a set of stories that every ballet, you know, team, every dancer is going to do. Right. You talk about these major ones, Nutcracker, Swan Lake. We see Romeo and Juliet was just there. There are these major stories. How is it for you? Because I feel like Swan Lake is really at the top echelon of so many of those stories. And you're talking about how iconic it is. But tell us about that, because there's this set of stories that you guys are going to do for every season. Right. And it's Absolutely. kind of like you get used to it. But this was something that I think was really at the top notch. It is. It is at the top notch. And I think it takes a lot of coaching. I think for me, one of the things that I had, I, I felt I felt everything. I was overwhelmed at times. I mean, Angelic and I, we were so emotional after a performance, mm -hmm. after a dress rehearsal. We were just in tears. And and I think it was really about like I've mentioned before, it's an emotional growth. Mm -hmm. And I think that this time around, I wasn't even thinking about the technique, right? How many turns I'm going to do, or how high I'm going to jump. It was really about telling the story and becoming an artist, what it means to become an artist. Uh, and, and, and that's what it is. It's the sum up of, you know, connecting the stories, connecting with people and how am I going to deliver to the audience? And, uh, I have, to, I have to say after COVID, uh, this has been one of the greatest experiences ever. It really reminded me of just how to not take things for granted. And, and I'm, a, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to be at the McCall Hall. I'm a new member of Pacific Northwest Ballet. I'm dancing with Angelica Generosa and my pals at uh, Pacific Northwest Ballet. It's just been the greatest blessing. So for me, it's really about the growth and becoming an artist. There was certain feel, there was a, a feeling of um, I, surrender. Mm. I just let myself go, become and be present. 
And that was the difference for me when I was younger and I played Prince Siegfried. I think that was all the, oh my goodness, I have to do this right. I have to accomplish this. And at this time, I just let it go and let it be. And, and that allowed me to accomplish more than I've ever, ever, ever um, dreamed of, really. That really, really struck me. Because as a theater performer myself, there is something so special about realizing that I need to let it go. I love the term surrendering because it's surrendering to more than just the character. It's surrendering and trusting yourself with that character. It's being able to immerse yourself in all of things that are going to make that character pop for everyone. And I'm telling you, as someone who experienced it with both of you, I felt that. I felt that in the audience. So you did a fantastic job, Jonathan. Thank you. you played the role well. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I know the play that the the ballet is still on. Please make sure you look right there in that camera. Let folks know how to come and see Swan Lake. <laughs> yes, please come see Swan Lake. We're still on until the twenty fourth of April, and Angelica and I are set to perform on Saturday at seven p.m. Thank you. There it is. There it is. Well, thank you so much for joining me right here on Converge Media for the morning update show in the Black Media Matter studio. We're so glad that you are with us. Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I, I got to say, we're going to continue this discussion because now we get to dive in after this short break with Angelica Generosa. We're going to hear about her playing the, the swan that we keep hearing about in Swan Lake. You guys stay tuned after this short break. You're watching the morning update show. As a non-binary Black femme, a lot of my identity is rooted in body. Once the vaccine was introduced, it was really difficult to think in terms of safety as well as autonomy. As a Black American, the relationship with government is very complicated. It's hard to trust. A lot of these conspiracies are really impacting people making a decision, especially with Black folks, to be clear about what we're doing. I think it's just a well-rounded conversation to see what's best for us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Morning Update Show. I'm your co-host, Trey Holiday, And joining me right now is the swan herself, Angelica Generosa. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. You know, well, I'm excited to have you because I'm telling you, I... I, I I was really fangirling out. I, I was, I went and I was really just like soaking it all in. But before we dive in, I want to hear a little bit about the behind the scenes, the journey, because we know there's so much effort and work that's put in to make these kinds of productions happen. Tell us a bit about that journey before you guys actually showcase this amazing show to the audience. I mean, um, well, first of all, growing up, I never expected to be the swan queen. Um, so to be in this position right now, I'm very, very grateful and humbled to even get to perform and have this opportunity. Uh, the journey for sure, we had about like three weeks to rehearse. And uh, when we were both casted together, we were super excited. Um, we developed the partnership. We had a lot of coaching, long hours of learning a lot of choreography mm -hmm. <laughs> and remembering all of it and trying to get the character development as well um, as being like the swan queen or being the prince and um, telling the story, as Jonathan said, uh, that was the the main focus of it. It didn't, like he said too, to let go and really be those characters. That was super important. Um, 
to show. So that well, was our journey. <laughs> you know, I mean, he talked about this emotion you guys had just after the dress rehearsal, after all of that practice and rehearsal and to know like, oh my gosh, you know, we're doing this, you know, we, we get the opportunity to do this. I mean, as a, a, a dancer growing up, you probably, you know, put the Swan Queen at the top bracket of like one day. So, so when we think about that, there's this whole buildup Mm -hmm. of emotion too, to get you there. Tell Mm -hmm. us about that for you, because I I mean, it came across to me as somebody that was in the audience, just (laughs) how elated you were to play this role. Yeah, I was super elated. Mm -hmm. I, I was so proud too, with all of the hard work that we put into it. I literally just let go surrendered as well and enjoyed that moment because you just never know you know especially during covid uh, you realize how important those moments were and how fleeting they are Mm. and to get to have an audience actually my family and my fiance like a lot of important people in my life came to the show and that was that was everything for me that just felt that's why it was so emotional to get to be back on stage to get to be dancing with an amazing partner with amazing company and have everyone together again. That was, that was the light and the joy. And I hope I showed that because <laughs> oh, I felt it. <laughs> you did. Yeah. You did. And, I, and I'm, I'm telling you, I was, I, I was sitting there. I'm so glad because I sat in the back. Okay. Right. And I was like, I'm going to soak all this up. I didn't really leave. I think I went to the restroom during one of the breaks one time, but I just sat there in my seat the whole time. And at one point, um, a black woman who comes to the play, I mean, to the dances all the time because the ballet, she's like probably has season tickets. And she came up to me, she goes, Oh, you could come down and sit next to us. And I had a seat that was closer, but I just was like, you know what? No, I really enjoyed being kind of in a row by myself Mm -hmm. and just sitting there and absorbing this. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, one of the top moments for me was in act two, when all of the swans come out. Oh my God. I mean, I was like, talk about synchronicity of movement. It is a millisecond between one move to the other that really paints this entire picture. Tell us about just that moment, working with all of these swans and having to be that particular in your movement. Totally. Beyond phenomenal. I mean, I started off that way as a court of ballet dancer, as an apprentice doing um, the core work. And I know how hard it is all of those hours of standing, making sure you're behind someone or you're the leader. Um, And it takes so much passion and devotion to it. And now as being Odette and Odile, I I feel them around me. Um, And because I was once there too, and you feel their energy and to have that camaraderie and to be all together, it's it's really rewarding. and it's so, it's so beautiful. It's so cool to see a flock of swans come out and just like create formations and dance all together and you feel the energy. So, you know, I mean, I literally may have to reach <laughs> out to Leah once again and be like, I think I need to come one more time before you guys are totally. done. Because it was, I mean, for me, it was just that phenomenal. And honestly, I, I guess 
I didn't know what to expect. Again, I had never seen it. I didn't have a, a full grasp of the story. But as I was just saying to Jonathan, the ways that you guys played those characters, it came out so perfectly. Thank and you. you just answer something for me because I was going <laughs> to ask, did you also play the black swan? I, you know, cause yeah. they have those moments of him kind of remembering and, and the, and the white swan is behind trying to tell him like, wait, you're making yeah, a mistake. totally. But it was you playing both roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's quite a quick change. Let me tell you to like put, or to take off like a very sweaty costume and then putting on another one with a headpiece. And you also have to change your character completely. Yes. Like you are nowhere near what White Swan was. And so um, it's really fun, actually. It's fun to play two characters in one whole ballet. Uh, usually you tend to stick to one um, character. So I really enjoyed that. And yeah, it's just fun to play. <laughs> you know, that also, I think, bodes to me what we saw in the movie because Black Swan, the movie, was so critically acclaimed, right? Mm -hmm. And and I didn't have, again, I didn't have a good frame of reference for why, you know, oh, is it a big deal? But you just really, just you just <laughs> told it all because you're so right. The yeah. movement, the sharpness mm -hmm. of the Black Swan compared to the grace and fluidity mm -hmm. of the White Swan, it is like two amazing it's like a 180 yeah literally she's very evil yeah. like she um <laughs> she's trying to trick the prince into marrying her instead you know and um the white swan as well she's going through a lot she's a swan but she wants to fall in love and she wants to be a human again and so um very very different characters and it's it's fun yeah, I got to say, you did a phenomenal job. I, I was literally, you know, because I was sitting so far back, I wasn't sure. And I was like, maybe that the white swan, you know, she's still the white swan in the background. But the idea that you were able to play both characters, that's mind blowing. And it really says something to not just your dancing ability, but the acting behind it. And oh, I think that that's you. something that people don't realize, you know, as ballet dancers, you guys really have to embody these characters and showcase that emotion. Totally. Um, as, as we saw at the end there, there was so much of, you know, uh, emotion that was poured into the very end as you're having to do this last final dance with the prince mm -hmm. and really let him know, you know, you made the mistake and I, I can't, you know, we can't be together. Mm -hmm. That was something that struck me. I'm telling you, I was sitting there like, wow. Tell us about how that was for you. I mean, for this version as well, Ken Stoll added this um, pot of the, for act four for the two of them to kind of move on mm -hmm. separately. Uh, usually in different versions, both the Swan Queen and the Prince die. Mm -hmm. uh, they fall into the lake together. Um, but this one is very heartbreaking. It's it. She leaves him and says, I can't go on with you. Um, I'm forever a Swan and I want you to move on and have a, have a great life too, you know? And it's heartbreaking because she actually fell in love for the first time, but she can't continue that. They both can't. Yeah. And 
It's yeah, it's it's a lot. <laughs> well, I got to say, you guys put on one heck of a show. I am Thank so you. glad I got to see you. Um, it, you know, Jonathan told us it's going on to the 24th. You guys yes. are going to be performing again together yes. on the 23rd. Uh-huh. Um, I just got to thank you, Angelica, for oh all that thank you, you poured onto that stage and for bringing your grace and presence here to thank the Black you. Media Matter Studios thank for the you. morning update show. Thank you so much for being with us <laughs> thank today. Thank you. I appreciate it. My Thanks. goodness. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> all around amazing. And I'm telling you, I became even more of a fan of the ballet because of these two that we had in the building today. You guys stay tuned after this short break. We're bringing our guy, Big O, back to the set so we can close out for you in the right way. Stay tuned. You're watching the Morning Update Show. When the pandemic hit, it did affect me. As a barber, I had my own personal reasons why I didn't get vaccinated. At the time, I didn't check the actual source. I thought the vaccine was developed too fast, but I was talking to a doctor and he was telling me more about the vaccine and what it could do to protect us and our family. I wanted to get back to that once was, right? I do feel safe knowing that I am vaccinated. I just hope what I'm saying is reaching into people's heads to know that this is the best decision for all of us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Morning Update Show. I'm your co-host, Trey Holiday, and I promise you I'm over here buzzing, man. Big old great show today. <laughs> yeah, it's all you. <laughs> but now I, I know how, like, you uh, you went and saw Swan, like, and, yeah, you really, really enjoyed it. And so that's why I said, let me make some space and grace over here. You know what I'm saying? And I so appreciate yeah, you. That, it was like a fangirl literally talking to both of them. Because <laughs> I know, I saw. <laughs> you know, yeah. And after you see it, you'll like really, you'll you'll experience what I experienced. I know, hands down. I think one of the best things, too, is that, you know, we've we've kind of become so entrenched with the with the ballet that we no longer even look at it as this intentional effort of ballet right. to reach out. But I think it's important that we don't ever forget that as well. And that the the Pacific Northwest Ballet was like, yo, I think we can do better. And on top of that, there's a lot of black people that are in the ballet or open to it, but they've never had an invitation. Mm-hmm. They've they've never had an invitation. They've never had an opportunity to feel welcome. And I think the one thing with Pacific Northwest Ballet and the team over there is that it's sincere. It's sincere relationship and all these emails back and forth and everything, you know, just, you know, the communication. So I just want to acknowledge that because, you know, the thing is, we've had so many ballet dancers now on the Morning Update show but it's just part and parcel. It's just, you know what I'm saying? It's every day. But if you were to ask us a year ago, you're like, man, you got ballet dancers on there, big O? What's going on with the morning update show, dog? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I need to come and do my album. Right. <laughs> you know? But I, I just I just wanted to take a second and really, really acknowledge that. And this is the way that it should be. You know what I'm saying? And like your excitement, how you're like, man, you got to go and see it. You're, you're on my head. Oh, you better go. You better be there Saturday. <laughs> but you're impacting people in our community who see you and I'm like, man, Trey, I went to that. She said it was cool. Let me go check out the ballet. Absolutely. Let me do something new. Maybe I got something different now for date night. Maybe I got something <laughs> different to do, you know, for we hang out with friends. Remember, Cece was like, uh, she was like, this is a good one to get all your girls. <laughs> go see the show. 
drink after. Right. Yeah, like girls <laughs> night out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that you talk about the intentionality. We see so much coordination goes into securing these guys to come right here to the Black Media Matter Studios and to interact and engage with us here. And you're so right. Shout out to everybody who's a part of that effort because I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm all the better for it. It would be one thing if we just got tickets, you know, to go and see it. Uh, but to be able to really talk to the dancers about their experience and what we're witnessing, it's a it's a whole nother level. I mean, that's the thing, too. I'll say this is because there's people who, you know, we ain't got enough time. It's the top of the hour. <laughs> but I want to get some free advice. Can I hit the camera right here? I just want to get free advice out there, especially these people in their DEI department is like you're not pushing or helping the culture if you're sin converged to free tickets. We're like, oh, yeah, here's our thing. And, and then, you know, so I always look because I'm like a marketer wouldn't do this. A marketer like an actual marketer or something would, wouldn't be like, oh, well, here's some tickets and this and that. And you look and it's like community outreach specialist or something. I'm like, yo, that's what else, what else I like with, with Pacific Northwest Ballet is it's like, man, we dealing with a people, people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They say some initiative or something or anything else. And it shows. And there's so many different things that we're able to do with them that we haven't even had an opportunity to unlock ourselves. You know what I'm saying? And then really get, get out there. I can't, you know, I'm saying uh, live from a call hall. You know, we need it. <laughs> we we need a morning update show out there. there we go. You know what I'm saying? We take the set <laughs> out there to McCall Hall. It'd be dope. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's real. It's a lot of people who are intimidated of McCall Hall. They just ain't never been there before. You know what I'm saying? Right. They right. ain't never been there. It's like, man, that's operas and ballet. No, man, we up in there too. Yeah. Come see us in McCall Hall. Come see the morning update show. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna talk to I'm gonna talk to Leah about that. There we go. You know so we can invite, have a little audience out there and everything. That's you know beautiful. Saying? Got a few things here before we get out of here. Tonight at 8 30. You ready for this, Salman? <laughs> the truth with proof. My brother right there, Stuart. Uh proof in the play, Scott. As it goes by uh, Facebook, he has lots of other monikers as well, though. But man, the truth with proof tonight at eight thirty, and I, I, I come now to every show because they always have food. Last week was the Moose Burgers, yeah. and then before that was the Hot Link Corn Dog. So I'm waiting, interesting to see. And you know, proof always see judges the food one through five. So far, we've had two fives in a row. So I'm very optimistic about tonight. <laughs> you know, get something else going on. Also, our buddy Basa Gordon. Basa Gordon has her media mixer. Media mixer is going on tonight with a uh, lady Coco. That's over at Gold Bar in South Lake Union. Um, can get even more detail. There it is. Uh, Eight o'clock to eleven o'clock looks like right over there at Gold Bar in South Lake Union. Music's always good. I got a photo booth happening, popping off. I went last time and I saw a lot of people I hadn't seen in a while, like Luis from the station. Nice. Yeah, you know this guy's a fashionista now. <laughs> <laughs> you he see stays prim and proper. Yeah, I'm like, bro. I remember when you was like bar barista, uh, Luis. I was like, man, you made it to the other side. He's fresh. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's going on tonight as well. Then tomorrow, so listen, tomorrow is going to be another big day here. We have um, two guests from the House, our neighbors coalition. 
I-135. They're going to be in the building right here telling everybody about the social housing. Pro- I told you I'd follow up on it. I Absolutely. said I was going to put it on my list. Absolutely. Right? It's necessary. I'm so glad that they're going to be here tomorrow because a lot of folks still don't understand the concept of social yeah. housing. This is going to be great. Yeah, big, big deal. So we're going to get out of here. We went over time, but it was well worth it, man. Our amazing guests. We want to thank Jonathan. We want to thank Angelica. And uh, man, you know, Oh, and we big shout out today. We got Ali in the building, our photographer today. You might have might seen a write up on Ali the other day that was up there on the, on the site. You know what I'm saying? Great addition to our team here. Yeah, absolutely. Great show indeed. And you guys know for me, see yourself as a part of the solution. Everybody else can do it. You can too. Just get out there and be a part of these amazing solutions in your community. Yeah, that's good. Be a part of the solution. And, and yeah, you know. Man, if, if you were one of these people who had a lot of regression about the mass and stuff, I'm just like, man, just let it go now. <laughs> just count to 10. You know what I'm saying? Put that energy somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, but no, we want to say thank you to everybody, man. Um, it's good to be back here in the studio. And like I said, amazing show tomorrow. Want to appreciate everybody. See, that's my sign. I'm supposed to look at that camera now. Appreciate everybody. Um and yeah, tonight, 830, uh, the truth with proof. And then also the media mixer over there at Gold Bar in South Lake Union with uh, Basa Gordon. We're going to leave you with a little bit of hope here from Shana Shepard. And on that note, I want to remind you, go forward in your purpose. Go forward in your humanity. And until tomorrow at 11 a.m., peace. What do I see through a lens of fear? A thousand little steps to go. What do I fear after all these years? Lord knows I don't even know. I've been running on the edge of a sundial, sleeping in the shadow. I've been begging you to see me, then hiding beyond the unreachable. Looking now left on a right hand turn Just trying to make a deal The lazy shoes of love is a love that's earned That's the kind of food that heals I've been searching for the end of an era Waiting to be ready The world is bigger than a moment Be steady, that's how you can feel it's real But I feel naked
produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.